Welcome to Millennial 713. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. So I learned recently, after I saw a headline, that the oldest millennials are turning 40 this year. The elder millennials, as they're known. (laughs) Elder millennials. Are turning 40 this year. And of course, with that comes a slew of shitty headlines. So just be prepared to see these throughout the rest of the year. Three that I pulled here are uh, middle-aged millennials are homeowners, but burdened by debt, millennial age discrimination, apparently, and then also the struggles of being a 40 age range homeowner. So lots of uh, coverage about our particular economic situation as we're getting into middle age. Um, so keep an eye out for all the hot takes, guys. <laughs> so first we were killing things. Yep. And now now they're being kind to us because we're, yeah. we're getting older. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're burdened. They're like, yeah. oh, they're, they are broke. That's why they're not buying anything. Whose fault is that? <laughs> it's nice to know that some millennials are turning 40 because I can never remember what that age range is exactly. I just know I'm in it. So now I can be like, okay, so some millennials are at least 40. And in case anyone thought we were going to complain about how old we are, no, we weren't going to fall for that trap because we've done that on the podcasts over the years. And we look like idiots being like, I can't believe one day we're going to be 30. That's so old. (laughs) Comes back to bite you. I've learned. No, I feel like we're probably right in the middle. Most likely. What is it? Because Let's refresh that, ourselves. Well, isn't like the youngest, aren't the youngest millennials like 25? Yeah. 26? I mean, it varies a little so bit. Maybe we're not like completely in the middle, but we're pretty. I close. think we're like a little beyond the middle <laughs> in yes. terms of average ages of millennials. And that's okay. You know what I got to say about getting closer to 40? Bring it on, baby. Bring it on, baby. This is 40. Yeah. My life has gotten so much better over the last few years. I would never go back to being in my early 20s. I wouldn't change anything about my experiences from that time. But I've also learned a lot from then. And I have no desire to go back to that point in my life. Good for you. All I can think is that what lies ahead are possibilities and more opportunities for me. This is so inspiring for the top of the show. Stop it. I'm going to start crying. (laughs) Put this this on Instagram with some inspirational music behind it. Jesus Christ. I wasn't prepared for this. No, I just mean, I feel like a lot of people, when they think about aging, they get existential. And I just don't think it's a healthy way to look at it. Yeah. All right. Bring it on, baby. Well said. I looked it up. So millennials were born between 81 and 1994 slash 1996. I don't know what the discrepancy or the issue is, but that's it. So yes, Pam, you were right. Millennials are currently between the ages of 25 and 40 years old. So, and that's 72.1 million people in the U.S. Every one of them should be listening to this podcast. Tell your friends. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your friends today. We have a lot of work to do. That's what I just learned. So I've brought something up on the show from time to time. Speaking of being a millennial, we have all grown up on Facebook. And one of my biggest complaints lately has been that you can't turn off commenting on your posts. And I've said before that I would use Facebook more if I could turn off commenting on posts because I want to post some snobby things about Trump, but I don't want my uncle and my uh, other Trump supporting people in my family to comment with their dumb shit. Well, I'm very pleased to report that Facebook has recently announced that soon you will be able to disable commenting on your posts. Woohoo! That's a long time coming. I know. Twitter's been doing it for like a year or so. They give you the option. They've given you the option for a year. The social media networks have been afraid to do this because that will that will reduce the amount of engagement on the platform and it's all about engagement for them. They're making a little sacrifice here, but I think they've realized that Facebook and other places online have become very toxic and comments are rarely very healthy. So you'll be able to do this soon through the app. And I'm so burned out on Facebook and political stuff on Facebook at this point that I probably won't post more on on Facebook. But it's nice to know that the option is there to disable commenting. But will you be as tempted to post your snarky takes about things if you know certain people can't interact with it? Like, yeah, I don't want that interaction. It makes me sick. Yeah. Seriously. But then if you don't want the interaction, do you want even the moment of making that post at all? Right. 
Fair. Like it, yeah. You know, it can still breed awkward, you know, family interactions when you do get together with those right. folks. So I've made one post since April 2019. And uh, it was January 7th when Facebook kicked Donald Trump off the platform. And I said, wow, Trump kicked off Facebook indefinitely. Republicans protest and leave Facebook forever. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so excited that I had to go post that. That was the moment that my brother-in-law uh, blocked me on Facebook. I don't know if I've said that on the main show, but my brother-in-law got so angry at that post because he was a big fan of January 6th. <sighs> so, yeah, he didn't like that. He was he was a snowflake. He, he, he couldn't stand my post. So he blocked me. <laughs> Oh, no. I love it. I love it. I know it. you're devastated by that. Yep. So sad to no longer see his crazy, crazy Trump posts. Um, some other good news today I wanted to wanted to share. This broke late last week. The CDC said that fully vaccinated people can travel at low risk to themselves in light of vaccines proving effective against the spread of COVID. Did somebody just make a noise when I said that? I made like a little happy noise. It sounded like a foghorn to me. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here like, and that's my happiness. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so I thought this was great news, very exciting, very refreshing to see. It also made me think the travel industry is going to be absolutely nuts this summer. Now that the CDC is like, if you're vaccinated, head out, you can travel. You still got to be safe. You still got to wear your mask, etc. But that's great news. And I just see every city with with a hot tourism area being on fire this summer including where Laura is going this summer. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, we're going before the height. Like, we're going before Memorial Day weekend to New Orleans. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, still, though, I mean, typically I would go to the beach in the summer, but we've already decided as a family that we're going to make that like a post-Labor Day visit because we know it's just going to be insane down there right. during June and July. So there's and no you, point. You normally go to Florida, right? Yeah. And you don't want to be those people on the beach in Florida <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> We've criticized them a lot. Yeah, exactly. That said, I mean, once the summer comes, we'll all be fully vaccinated. So we would be comfortable going and, you know, observing all of the safety protocols still. Um, but we just don't want to because we know it's going to be packed with other people. So yeah. we're yeah. just going to wait. Laura, you'll be pleased to hear this. The CDC issued additional guidance saying you can get titties in your face in New Orleans <gasps> starting immediately. So you can go oh. to that bar that I recommended to you. Well, that's just so great. I have to tell you, I've been dreaming every night about the possibility of getting titties in my face in New Orleans. And now that I know it's a reality. Um, yeah, I'm trying. So they just do that. There's no I sent you the video, Laura. You, you know exactly you... what happens now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was expecting it to be a little more graphic. I'm going to be honest. Well, I'm sure you can it's still ask. Very them. aggressive slapping. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, was very like aggressive slapping. Slapping and throwing <laughs> the shot down your throat and opening your legs up like it's a lot. Anyway, I, I think you should do it because Fauci <laughs> gives it the a okay. Fauci stamp of approval. Fauci's going to do it himself. <laughs> I wonder if Laura, are you touch starved enough to go for this? I guess that's what it really comes down to, but probably not. It would be a very different thing for me to do <laughs> it's not typically my style uh but we'll see you know if i'm inspired in the moment then i i might just do it if you get drunk enough is the <laughs> translation there if i'm inspired if you're drunk enough <laughs> we'll see. i bet i bet they're not doing it right now because of covid which probably big... not you'll have to report back to me though to let me know if they are doing it of course i will <laughs> pester you to please Sign up for that. If they well, Andrew to. wants to know so that he can get titties in his face when he goes to New Orleans. Right. I need time. a reason to get back there. Definitely. <laughs> I have some big news for me and Laura. So, Andrew, you can take a little break. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the permission. Netflix uh, Netflix announced today that Selena, the series part two, is actually going to be premiering on May 4th, which means that we get to cringe watch this together oh. a full 10 days before we thought we were going to. I... I'm so looking Mark forward to this because if I had <laughs> known how bad part one was going to be, I would have been like rapid fire texting you the entire time I watched it. Um, I know. 
now that I know how bad it's going to be, I will be doing that. I apologize in advance. <laughs> no, no, you, you'll you give me an excuse to do the same. <laughs> We're gonna have to coordinate watch times, I think. Yeah, we, we'll work it out. I just, yeah, it's one of these things like as Selena fans, it's really hard to resist the temptation to watch this content because, you know, we only had her for 23 years. And <laughs> You know, the time that she was actually, you know, a relatively well-known name was only for a few years of that time. So her fans are desperate for content. It's just unfortunate that this is the kind of content we're getting. Yeah, I totally agree. So we'll see what happens on May 4th. But everybody else that has a vested interest, (laughs) what Laura and I think can stay tuned. We can probably make that the May variety show. (laughs) I think so, too. Give me a break (laughs) Mm -hmm. for my birthday. I'll take off that. Well, that. no, That's you're fair. still going to you have to be there as the everyman, right? Oh, like, OK. You know. I'll be there, but I'll be like driving somewhere. So I'll be <laughs> on mute go. for most of the time, just like randomly chiming in. And who's this? As you hear like a truck go by. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got some pop culture coming up momentarily. But first, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about one of our show's sponsors, their third love, and they make the best bras on the market. With more than 80 sizes to choose from, their perfect fit promise, and their super easy fitting room quiz, you really can't go wrong with these bras. I've been wearing Third Love's bras for a couple of years at this point, and I am never going back. With their signature memory foam cups, no-slip straps, and scratch-free band, these are the most comfortable and supportive bras I've ever owned. And bras aren't the only thing Third Love does well. They're the ultimate go-to for loungewear as well. From lazy Sundays on the couch to weekend outings, Third Love's loungewear is made to wear everywhere. These are premium cotton fabrics available in drapey, easy-fit knits, French terry, and woven styles. And just like their bras, Third Love has a variety of sizing options from extra small to 3X, all in the quality and fit you expect from Third Love. Third Love knows your one true fit is out there, so right now they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash millennial to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash millennial for 20% off today. So uh, for pop culture this week, I wanted to talk about Game of Thrones, and I guess it's especially fitting because the 10-year anniversary of Game of Thrones on HBO is coming up. But man, like Game of Thrones might be over, but HBO is not planning on letting go of that franchise anytime soon. Have you guys been keeping up with all of the prequels that are currently in different stages of development? A little bit. Yeah, loosely. It's been a little bit hard because I feel like Game of Thrones fans kind of got a kick in the morale with that final season. So it's been hard to want to keep up with it. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to have to win back everyone's trust. And maybe that is their plan of attack because, my gosh, I feel like at least every few weeks there's a new story about some Game of Thrones entity that's in development. So here are probably just a few because I wouldn't be surprised if I missed some. They're all Game of Thrones prequels, by the way, and these are all um, in development, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be greenlit by the studio. So they have a series called Nine Voyages, which is focused on the sea snake and his various travels. Uh, There is a series in the works about Flea Bottom, which is the extremely poor district in King's Landing, 10,000 ships, which would be centered on Princess Nymeera, who's an ancestor of the House Martell, the Tales of Duncan Egg, which might be of a special interest to most people that were just fans of the show, because this would be like the direct prequel to everything that transpires in the original series. Um, it focuses on Robert's Rebellion and the War for the Iron Throne. So that really sets up the events of the show itself. Then there's the Game of Thrones animated series going potentially to HBO Max. (laughs) No specific details on what this is going to entail yet, but it is going to be geared towards adults. Uh, And then the one series that is actually pretty far along in production is House of the Dragon, which is based off of George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood. And this chronicles the events of a civil war among the House Targaryen in Westeros. And this is like set way, way before Game of Thrones. And... If that's not enough, there's also a Game of Thrones stage play in the works. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, George R. R. Martin is also involved in this. He's going to be um, 
coming up with a story, then somebody else is going to be adopting it for the stage. They're allegedly planning a pretty big um, debut for this. Like the plan is to send it to Broadway and Weston and to Australia. And this is also more or less a bit of a direct sequel because it centers on the great tourney at Heron Hall, which happened 16 years prior to the event of Game of Thrones. And this really sparked uh, the catalyst for Robert's Rebellion because at the end of the tourney, Prince Rhaegar Targaryen proclaims his love to Lyanna Stark, and that just like leads to the direct events of everything that happens after with Jon Snow and stuff like that. So that's where we are with Game of Thrones. If you're missing this series, like fear not, because Game of <laughs> HBO's got you covered. So um, George R. R. Martin is not finishing the books. I think I don't that's think safe so. To say he, at this point, he just signed a new five year deal, like an exclusivity deal with HBO, and they've got him pretty busy. So. Right. I mean, this play he's going to write this play. This means that Winds of Winter, the next book in Game of Thrones, is definitely not happening until that's finished. He's not completing Winds of Winter until the play's finished because he has to work with other people on the play, and they're not going to wait around for him to finish Winds of Winter. I'm not the Game of Thrones fan here. I really maybe should give it another shot because clearly HBO wants Game of Thrones to be their Marvel, to be their Star Wars, uh, to be a Harry Potter. They just want to expand the franchise as much as possible. And they hope, I'm sure, they're praying that they can make all these series work because this would be huge for them to have so many series like Disney Plus does with Marvel and and Pixar and all these other projects going on. And that's that's a good point because I, I wonder if they are fueled by the success of something like a Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the idea of all of these series fatigues me way more than the idea of like 16 um, Star Wars series or, you really? know, 10 Marvel shows. You know what I mean? Well, they sound equally exhausting to is. me, but I'm like a casual fan of both of them, I guess. And I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but I watched like the last season. So I didn't know what was going on. It was just background watching. Yeah. Well, how <laughs> you, you feel? We're very confused. How are you feeling, Laura? Uh, I would say fatigued is also the appropriate word um i to to be perfectly honest i have not read the books uh, for game of thrones and so i'm really going off of the tv show i think the first four seasons of game of thrones were phenomenal television and i feel like it started going downhill starting in season five really with the end of season five and onward um and that just kind of felt like they ran out of the source material. And that's why it's like the reason the show was good was because they had good source material to draw from. And once they ran out of that, the show started getting bad. So it makes me a little worried because we've already seen an example of what like Westeros content looks like when there's no source material to draw from. Mm, good point. I suppose it's good that. George R. R. Martin has been contracted for some of this. Hopefully that'll help with it. But I think it's just rough when you have a series that jumped a shark, like in its initial sort of like splash. Whereas you have, you know, Star Wars and Harry Potter, like they were fairly solid up until a point. <laughs> right? right? Like Harry Potter. They got through the core series successfully. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to have confidence that if you couldn't get through your core series without it being um, very disappointing, what are these other series going to look like? I'm going to give you a Pam 100% on that. I completely agree. (laughs) Um, And then this play, I think anyone who was a Harry Potter fan is looking at this news of the Game of Thrones stage play and just having flashbacks to how excited they may have been for Cursed Child and then how disappointed they were in The Cursed Child if you didn't see The Cursed Child. I maintain that if you see it, you will be very impressed. But if you read that script, you're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. And let's be real, a lot of Game of Thrones fans, they're not going to go see the stage play initially. Their introduction to the stage play might very well be a script book like J.K. Rowling did for The Cursed Child, so that it was accessible to all audiences immediately. I mean, great points all around. Um, I think that most people are probably divided, especially if they're casual fans, but maybe even if they're not, because I see that 
Liza wrote in the Discord that they had watched and read it all, but now is so meh. I don't enjoy watching the battles to the death, which seems to have been all the directors cared about, like amping up the gore more than George R. R. Martin. So mm-hmm. that's a good point. It's it's a pretty bloody, violent show. And and I definitely think that they leaned into that for the shock factor. And especially without having, you know, a compass to guide them in the end, because they'd reached the uh, the end of, of what was already published. It just all of those, um, you know, uh, holes really poked through in the plot. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I think, too, something that Game of Thrones struggles with a bit is that um, our culture has changed a lot over like the span of time that Game of Thrones was running. Um, so I've heard from several folks who started watching Game of Thrones very recently and unanimously like across the board, they've come away with it being like, there is a lot of violence towards women in this series and it makes me deeply uncomfortable. I don't know if I can enjoy this given where we are now culturally and how aware we are of, you know, the place of violence towards women in our culture and like how it is held up by, you know, our various systems. So that's been an interesting take to hear as well. And I wonder if similar to what we've seen happening in the Potter world, of course, with Potter, it's been more um, with diversity, like diversifying the people who are represented in the series. I wonder if any Game of Thrones spinoffs are going to start adapting to be more appropriate for the times so mm. that we might see less of that, especially towards women. I don't know. I would hope they are aware of all that backlash and do want to improve for future storytelling. So if they don't, I mean, that's just idiotic. Yeah. There's a lot of idiots in Hollywood. There's a chance that they won't learn their lesson. Well, looking at some good news, at least for AMC theaters, um, AMC actually registered its highest uptick of 14%, so pretty substantial, following the debut of Godzilla vs. Kong last week. Um, That's the first big budget offering from Hollywood that has been in theaters since the majority of theaters have opened nationwide. Um, Y'all will remember a couple of months ago us talking about uh, the Wall Street bets drama, specifically as it related to GameStop stocks, <laughs> um, but AMC was one of the holdings that was impacted negatively in the weeks and months following all of the Wall Street bets drama. However, Godzilla versus Kong's opening weekend returns were forty eight point five million dollars. So this seems to indicate that there is some demand amongst consumers to go back into the theater after almost a year of watching content at home. I know that we've talked a lot on the show recently about like, when are we going to be ready to go back to the movies? And it seems like there are a lot of people who are already ready. And it's also worth noting that Godzilla vs. Kong was available on HBO Max day yep. and date with the theatrical release. So clearly people wanted to go see this in theaters. And I get it. It's a it's a big monster movie. This is something you want to see on a big ass screen. Personally, I've never been into these monster fil- films. Godzilla, like I, just, I read that title and I just think it's going to be two hours of... Uh, 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 just going back and forth and i'm like i it's that's not my type of thing like we've said a few weeks ago i can see myself maybe by summer being back in a movie theater we moved out here nine months ago we still haven't been to a movie theater and i think that's something we're definitely looking forward to doing so um yeah maybe black widow maybe something else And in terms of AMC stock, no, I have not invested in AMC stock because that thing has been volatile as F and I don't want any part of that. That said, if you look at AMC stock pre-pandemic and like back in 2017, 2018, it was a lot higher than it was now. And I think it's going to keep going up as box office revenues continue to improve. So I'll buy on the next dip, Laura, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually ended up buying four shares. So not very much. (laughs) It's it's a little tiny bit. But they had dropped to something like $4 a share. (gasps) Is that That when you bought it? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, damn it. She's so good. Fuck. Um, so it's up to like 10 something now. So it's not a huge difference, but I'm just going to watch it throughout the summer because I have a feeling this is going to be one that ticks on up. It could be one to keep an eye on if you're like getting into the stock market for the first time like I am. I really don't know anything. So you shouldn't take any advice. Yeah, from me. none of this is stock advice, please. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> My The only piece of advice that I will give in reference to the stock market is do not put money into it that you can't afford to lose. So if, you know, like me, I had 20 extra bucks kicking around. I saw AMC dipped. So I was like, let me get four of these, you know, Um, but don't don't go dumping your entire like life savings into this. This is how people go broke. This is how some people went broke during the GameStop drama a couple of months ago. So, yeah, definitely don't do that. True. Um, But I did have a question for you guys. In regards to Godzilla versus Kong, we did watch this on HBO Max this weekend. I'm not going to give my opinion one way or the other on it. But I wonder, looking at the returns for the movie theater, like 48, $48.5 million for opening weekend, plus the fact that it was released day and date on HBO Max, do we think that it even mattered if this movie was good or bad? You think people are just excited to get back to a theater? That's what I'm wondering, mm-hmm. if people are just like, fuck it. <laughs> I don't think so. And I'll tell you that there is a Cineplex that is right next door to my local Target. So I go, like, I don't go to the movies, but I see the movie theater whenever I go pick up my online order at Target. And since theaters have opened up out here where I am, the parking lot's been full like every night mm. I've driven over there. And so I really do think that it is just people wanting to get back to some sense of normalcy and perhaps sitting in a movie theater with assigned seats where they're forcing a little bit more distance than perhaps, you know, a restaurant could afford. It it, it feels like a more comfortable family outing. I think a or lot like of- a date outing. Yeah. I think this doesn't answer the question about Godzilla versus Kong, but I think a lot of parents are looking for something to do with their kids, and a movie theater is just a perfect yeah. thing to do to get out of the house. One of our patrons, Just Doovy, I guess that's how you pronounce it, like Just Groovy, they said they were so happy to be able to see Godzilla versus Kong. Seeing those films in a theater is what makes them worth it. So yeah, people just want to see it on a big screen. I agree. I could see that because I also saw Godzilla versus Kong this weekend, but you know, at home. And and I do feel like it's one of those movies that I would have paid more attention to if I had been in a theater where you're supposed to have everything turned off. But that's the whole thing about watching things at home is like, it's so easy to get up and walk away or yeah. to check your phone. And and I noticed that my, um, my attention span, even if it's something that I really want to watch, is not there like it is with like an immersive experience like at a theater i'm sorry for this stupid question but i was actually wondering it over the weekend do you try to replicate the theater experience by not pausing the movie when you have to go to the bathroom or do you pause the movie (laughs) well i try not to go to the bathroom while i'm watching this but it's funny you mentioned that because towards the beginning of the pandemic i was talking with my therapist about this and i told her the thing i missed most was going to coffee shops and going to the movies because I used to go like almost every Friday. And she was suggesting that I try and recreate the movie theater experience at my house. And so I have done that before. I mean, it's like really wholesome, good advice. And we do have um, some really good blackout curtains in the living room and stuff like that. And you can close the doors. And so you can get pretty dark in there. And so that is kind of nice to be able to do once in a while to have the option to to do that. So yeah. So that's something that I, I have done for a few things now. It's nice. How about you, Laura? Do you pause the movie? You know, I have an iron bladder, so I don't, I'm not oh, usually wow. somebody who has this problem of like needing to pee during a movie or during a long road trip or anything like that. Like, I'm good. Damn. Yeah. Mark, on the other hand, definitely has to get up and leave the room and we pause when he does. So it's okay. his fault, not mine. Uh- <laughs> Okay. I encourage Pat to not pause it when I go to the bathroom because I think movies are way too long as they are. So I like being able to step away, take a little bathroom break. It also like forces you to kind of hurry up and it kind of reminds me of being at a movie theater. So I will say if you do watch this one, this is a movie that you can confidently go to the bathroom without pausing and you won't 
miss much because the most important part of the movie is watching giant kaiju fight each other. And the human storylines I've never particularly cared for in these Godzilla and Kong movies. I would rather just see the giant kaiju kicking each other's ass. Like, that's the fun part. So did you two like the movie? (laughs) Did you answer that, by the way? (laughs) It was good from a CG perspective. Everything else, I feel this way about I felt this way about the last couple of Kong and Godzilla movies. They try to inject these storylines with human characters. And there are too many characters. There's not enough time to develop a meaningful relationship with any of them. And again, I'm there for kaiju, not people. So I don't care. Even like Millie Bobby Brown's storyline, I was like, I don't care about you. I think it was all right. Uh, I think it was probably marginally better than the 2019 Godzilla King of Monsters, Mm -hmm. but only marginally. And like Laura, I think that if you're looking for plot, you should not look here. But if you're just (laughs) looking for, you know, big ass monsters beating each other up in the middle of very urban cities with skyscrapers, then yeah, like you should watch that. So Pam, I have to ask you, when you were watching the movie, were you Team Godzilla, Team Kong, or ambivalent? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think that here's the thing. I think that Kong is more like expressive in a human way so i think that the movie lends itself to caring a little bit more about his well-being than than godzilla's well-being i I was so pissed off on his behalf i'm not spoiling it like not to say anything bad per se happens it's just like the way that people treat him made me very unhappy so i was team kong throughout the whole thing i was like just kill everybody and go live your happy life go frolic on the freaking island. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I know the whole time Kong is like, just leave me on my fucking island. Yeah, he's like, I just want to <laughs> go home. Wait, Kong like, you know talks? What? You... No. No. Uh, no, but you can see, you can see it in his eyes. It's like you can see movie. it like, in his eyes. Someone... Yeah, you can. <laughs> you really can. Oh, my God. Have you God. seen that dumb movie Rampage? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. It's the same thing. It's like they just have like a really expressive, very large gorilla. And then you feel bad. <laughs> it's kind of like that scene. It's kind of like that scene in Jurassic World. And this is like a spoiler, but the movie's been out for years now. So if you yeah. haven't watched it, then like whatever. When they're leaving the island and like they just leave the dinosaurs there to die, and it's so sad. I know. Because, yeah. It's like similar effect. Yeah. I'm- I mean, I honestly feel like uh the best hero, it's like an unsung hero, like somebody who doesn't get a ton of recognition, is the T-Rex from the first Jurassic Park movie. Nobody That's gives her true. her props. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Wow. I did not expect you two to talk so passionately about Godzilla versus Kong, that's for sure. And Zian is in the Discord being like, I love Godzilla's smile. I'm like, what? <laughs> no. Just not even smile. It's just... <laughs> Never mind. This, this is, is like crazy. Not a conversation we need to have. This, this is crazy for sure. No, I appreciate the passion <laughs> very much. I will not be watching this. You couldn't pay me to watch one of these big monster movies. What if I You're sent kind of you missing like... out though? I feel like you should watch at least one. No, you know? there's no what way. You... What if I sent you like fifty bucks and I was like, sit down and Give watch this? Give me your movie. AMC stock and I will watch Godzilla versus Kong. No, I'm not going to do that. What? That's less than 50 bucks. Yeah, but the potential. All right. Would you really give me $50? I'll invest it in AMC. Probably, probably, <laughs> probably not $50. How like, much would you pay me? Like maybe. Maybe we could like Postmates some pizza to your house. Yeah. Like what if we sent you some snacks? That's cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I suppose I could be down for that. How long is this movie? It's long. You know what? Honestly, like between the Because there's so many that like that like lead up to this one i think that like out of all of them the best is probably skull island i don't know if you'd agree laura yeah. but i feel like it has a really good cast um and so it's just a lot more palatable because of that skull island was definitely the better movie mm-hmm. yeah you know what you could do andrew honestly if you wait a little while somebody is going to do a fight scene compilation of <laughs> oh that's all a good of point. these And that's all you need to see. Like, the rest of it doesn't matter. So just sit down for, like, 
30, 40 minutes and watch these fight scenes and you'll <laughs> you'll get the experience. 30, 40 minutes. I thought you were going to say, like, just sit down for five minutes. Um, it's two hours long, the movie, I see. And I just, I don't want to take, I appreciate the offer of, like, pizza or whatever, but I just, I would be actively angry watching the movie because I just hate watching movie that I don't want to watch. It just seems like such a waste of time. It's hours gone to a dumb movie that I don't want to watch. Yeah. You could have been buying up some AMC stock while you were watching that movie. I know. I what think if you missed funny, the dip? It'd be amazing if you gave me your AMC stock and then it shot up to like $1,000 a share. And then, well, you didn't buy that many shares, so I wouldn't suddenly become rich, rich. But man, imagine that. I'd give you your $20 back at least. Yeah. No, this is why I'm not giving you my AMC stock. All right. Fine, <laughs> fine. Um, I wanted to mention something quick. On Monday, Yahoo announced that they were shutting down Yahoo Answers. This is one of a few sites where anyone can post a question and anyone can answer it, which is part of the problem with these sites, especially these days. Yahoo says it's become less popular. Um, What they didn't say is a lot of misinformation can be spread on something like Yahoo Answers, and it's just not a healthy place. That said, I wanted to mention it because I think we've all been there where we go and Google something and it directs us to Quora or Yahoo Answers or one of these others like HowTo.com or something like that. Did you guys use sites like this and did you trust them when you read answers on them? Definitely have used them. Um, Not specifically Yahoo. I'll just type my question into Google and whatever answers come up first, whether it's Quora or Yahoo Answers, I'll read those. Uh, but do I take them seriously? No. Like, <laughs> realistically, like, if I go and Google, like, oh, I think I accidentally doubled up on my allergy medication today. Like, and so I'll go and Google, like, side effects of taking double my allergy medication to see, like, <laughs> if I can find anything on there. It's never reputable. Right. And all it does is send me into an anxiety spin. So I do try not yeah. to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you can't help it, though, because it just shows up in the search results and you see people talking about something that you're interested in. And you're like, well, damn, I guess I better look because other people have this issue, too. How about you, Pam? Do you ever use these? I, like Laura, just will pop my question into Google. And if Yahoo answers come up, I'll read through those. But I Mm -hmm. kind of take it with a grain of salt because I know that that it's not like professional help. I will say that one thing that I appreciate more about Yahoo answers is that like Cora requires you to sign in if you want to read past a certain number of answers. <laughs> so that's like too much effort. Yeah. If I'm, you want you know, all the shitty in the answers of the night. without logging yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. It's like at this point, I might as well just go on Reddit and see if somebody has asked the same question. Yeah. She Reddit, mentioned Reddit. Yeah. But like Reddit's you can't honestly, tru- I think it's a better resource. I'm never going on there to actually like fully trust anybody. I just, yeah. you know, I, I like to know that I'm normal and that other people are asking the same questions oh i get that yeah Mm -hmm. i use quora and yahoo answers for harry potter questions because i'll go googling something and then it's always one of those sites that appears like sometimes i'm researching something for mugglecast and i just want a quick answer to a question and those always have my back so i'm happy to use it for fictional questions but yeah, I'm not going to go click on one of those if I have a health issue or something. I Because I, like Laura, I would just become paranoid and freak myself out over what some rando is saying out in California. Yahoo Answers will shut down permanently on May 4th. Something else is happening on May 4th. What did we say earlier in the show? Selena. 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 So you won't be able to submit your <laughs> Selena questions to Yahoo Answers because they won't exist anymore. <laughs> There are a couple of big stories happening in the U.S. this week that we'll get to in a second. But first, I just wanted to play a passage from former Speaker of the House John Boehner's forthcoming memoir. Freedom means you can be a genius and invent new products that make you millions of dollars and helps millions of people. It means you're free to work your way to becoming the first in your family to go to college. It means you're free to reach as high as you want, no matter where you came from, even if you're a little kid sweeping a bar out in Southwest Ohio. Take it from me. You'll never know where you'll end up. That's freedom. I'll raise a glass to that any day. P.S. Ted Cruz, go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's a real clip from his audiobook. <laughs> oh my God. I did not know that's how that in- ended. I heard yeah. <laughs> about this passage, but not the ending. <laughs> 
So here's the thing we're learning. Boehner has this book coming out, and he recorded the audiobook himself for it. It's called On the House, a Washington memoir. And apparently, while recording the audiobook, he was also drinking wine. He's also drinking wine on the cover. So maybe he was also drinking wine when he wrote it as well. But apparently, he deviates into these attacks on Ted Cruz multiple times in the audiobook while getting wine drunk. So... I can't wait to see these other clips when they oh surface. Oh, my God. It doesn't surprise me, actually, because a, a few, several years ago, after um, he was no longer in Congress, when asked about Ted Cruz, he very publicly said, Ted Cruz is the most miserable son of a bitch I ever had the misfortune <laughs> of working with. So his hatred for Ted Cruz, um, there's a documented history of it for sure. He also wrote a really interesting op-ed for Politico, and it's titled something along the lines of um, what happened to the GOP from the guy who tried to save it from itself. Um, So he talks about what it was like to be somebody who was attempting to inject some compromise into what Congress was working on at the time, but he had a whole wave of brand new Tea Partiers sworn in at that time. And their number one goal was to hate Obama and to obstruct Obama. And so he talked a lot about that experience. I would say it's worth a read. Oh, wow. Look at this. Mm -hmm. Laura endorsing Boehner's book and something he wrote. I did not endorse it. I, I, I recommended giving the op-ed a read. The op-ed, sorry. Yeah. She's making a banner recommendation and recommending Godzilla versus Kong. I did not expect today's episode to go this way. <laughs> On a more serious note, the George Floyd, Derek Chauvin trial is underway. Interestingly, the trial is being televised from start to finish due to the pandemic, limiting how many people are allowed in the courtroom. The trial jumped quickly into testimony, and as of Friday was running ahead of schedule, Derek Chauvin's supervisor testified that Derek should have removed his knee from George Floyd's neck after he became unresponsive. On Monday, the Minnesota police chief said Chauvin absolutely violated policy when he knelt on Floyd's neck for nine minutes. All of the testimony has been very helpful for the prosecution thus far, in my opinion, but we'll see what the defense presents or, you know, what they try to argue in the next couple of weeks. We know that one thing they might try to argue is that George Floyd's drug use played a role in his death, but it looks like that's very shaky ground for them to stand on. The trial is expected to run another three weeks or so. Obviously, this trial is a very big deal. Right now, I feel like Chauvin will be put away just because of all this testimony. But like I said, we'll see how the defense argues the case. But if he isn't, obviously, we'll be reminded again of how fucked this country is. But also, people are going to be riding in the streets big time, as they should. So I'm like nervous about this trial, but I'm cautiously optimistic that justice will be served. Have you two been following the case much? The trial? I hate to say this because, but I haven't. And and it's because I feel like every time even there is some cautious optimism afoot, it just never turns out the way you want it to. Especially here. And yeah, it the they do not have a good track record of putting away police officers that have done wrong. Um, they always find a way to absolve them or the jury does. I just I just haven't. It's not that it's not worth it, but it just feels like the justice system never works the way it should with stuff like this. I um I've been keeping up with notifications and reading articles about it. Um I haven't watched any footage yet. I do plan to go back and do that. Um but I I feel kind of similar to Pam. This this kind of reminds me of the Eric Garner case. I don't know if y'all remember that one. It was New York a few years ago and not exactly the same set of circumstances, um, but uh, Eric Garner was somebody who was communicating that he was unable to breathe and he was held in such a way for such a length of time that his airway was cut off um, and that ultimately led to his death and justice was not served in that case. And that's what makes me really nervous here. 
And certainly there are a number of other cases like it. I take great exception to, and I know they will, I know this is correct, that the defense will be trying to argue that his his drug use played a role in his death. His drug use or lack of drug, like whatever, it's just not relevant, especially considering the greater context around this case, which was an alleged falsified $20 bill. I would like to think that human life is worth more than that. What has stuck out to me the most so far was hearing that um, the cashier who accepted that bill or was presented with that bill was really torn on whether or not to call the police or whether or not to report it because he had been told previously that if he accepted fake bills, it would be deducted from his pay. So he was going to be a victim of wage theft as a result of this. So you're putting somebody who's probably not making very much money in a terrible position of thinking you could be taking money out of my pocket over you know, a very simple mistake that isn't my fault. And then now this person has to carry with them the fact that they did report it. And obviously, everything that happened is not that person's fault. How this was handled should not have been handled that way. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what has stuck out to me the most so far is how grief can present itself so differently, depending on what vantage point you held to this situation. Little recommendation for Pam and maybe some other listeners who don't want to actually tune in. I haven't been watching it either, but the New York Times is doing daily takeaways. Pretty short read just to get a sense of what some of the most, in the New York Times opinion, critical moments of the case of the trial have been. So maybe check those out if you're looking for a way to keep on top of what's happening at the trial. We'll see what happens. Like I said, the trial is expected to last another three weeks. So we'll all be on edge until then. So Lauren, I teamed up for our politics story this week, and it's going to make sense very quickly. Um, (laughs) The MLB announced just at the end of last week that they're moving this year's All-Star Game out of Atlanta as a result of the new Georgia voting laws. Uh, The All-Star Game takes place every year in July and it's a big deal for a number of reasons, but um, mainly it's it's also just great for the host city because it brings in a lot of revenue. And Laura's going to kick this off by talking a little bit about what's going on over in her state in case you haven't been keeping up with that. Yeah, so the reason for this move is because our governor signed an incredibly restrictive um, voting law over the last couple of weeks. Fun fact, uh, Brian Kemp signed this into law when we were in the middle of a tornado warning. We've actively got like property damage happening because of these terrible storms that rolled through here. Um, But, you know, this was still the priority. The reason that um, the MLB and a number of other companies and entertainment sources have been speaking out against this is because it implements Uh, several new requirements around voting in elections that they argue, and I would argue as well, really restrict somebody's ability to easily access um, voting. So the first thing it does is it shrinks the window for early and absentee voting. Um, So you used to be able to request an absentee ballot in Georgia six months prior to an election. That period has been cut down to 78 days. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I was talking last summer about how I had already requested my absentee ballot for the general election because we were allowed to do it up to six months early. Mm -hmm. And counties also used to be able to send uh, absentee ballots to voters 49 days prior to elections, but that's been cut down to 29 days now, which is pretty concerning if you're thinking about all of the issues we've had with the U.S. Postal Service over the last few months. Um, 29 days, you could have something very easily get lost in transit for that long and longer. Um, So that's absolutely concerning. Um, Now, absentee ballot applications will only be able to be sent when requested by a voter. Um, Previously, Republican Brad Raffensperger, who is our Secretary of State, sent unsolicited, unsolicited applications to all Georgia voters during the pandemic. So this just adds another step 
that somebody has to go out of their way to like print out the form, fill out the form, and then mail it in or email a scanned copy rather than just getting an absentee ballot application sent to them at home. Um, There are also new voter ID requirements. So voters will need to supply one form of ID. So it could be a driver's license, a passport, a social security card, um, rather than simply using the signature match where we would sign um, the back of our ballot when we mail it in and they would compare it to the uh, signature that the Secretary of State's office had on file. The number of ballot drop boxes has been restricted to one per every 100,000 people. Um, So before there wasn't a limit on how many ballot boxes there could be and you could put them anywhere. However, moving forward, they will only be able to be located inside of early voting locations or county elections offices, which really does restrict the time that people can drop their ballots off. Didn't Brian Kemp use one of those ballot drop boxes, by the way? And I'm pretty sure he's on video doing it. I I think think I saw that video. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Hmm. Um. Early voting for runoff elections has been cut down from three weeks to five days. I wonder why this is, guys. (laughs) So we just had a runoff election here in Georgia in January, and both Senate seats were won by Democrats. So this feels like a direct uh, retaliation to that. Five days, like a a single Monday through Friday period is how long you can have early voting for a runoff. And that's a massive reduction, three weeks to five days. That's it's yeah, huge. Um, One of the scariest things is that the state general assembly, um, which in Georgia is decisively a Republican majority, um, will be able to select the chair of the state elections board. Previously, the board was chaired by the secretary of state, who's somebody who's in an elected position. And that chair is supposed to be nonpartisan. Um, so the state a general state general assembly is now going to have the power to suspend county election superintendents. So it really gives the state a lot of power over county election procedures. And then finally, this bill, we probably the most common thing you've heard about this law is that it bans handing out food and water within 150 feet of a polling place or within 25 feet of any voter. Because you could be influencing who they vote by, for. That's their by argument, giving right? Them water. As yes. if, right, the, the bottle of Dasani says vote Biden on the label or something like that. Biden water. Like, come right. on. And it would be one thing if polling places were required to provide water, like because you know, polling places and elections offices, those are supposed to be nonpartisan places. If they were providing the water, that would be fine. However, um, while election officials are permitted to set up water stations, it is not a requirement. Yeah. You know, it's funny. All these people, they love Jesus. They all happily celebrated Easter over the weekend. And what would Jesus do? He'd probably give food and water to these people waiting in line. They kind of ignore that part of Jesus, the part where you love everybody and you care for other people. People love to cherry pick. Oh, yeah. The good word of Especially Jesus. Especially when it comes to religion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just outrageous, Laura. Like, my stomach turned when I read this food and water rule. Yeah. And I will say the only good things to come out of this are that it does seem that this law will make voting easier if you live somewhere very rural. And how is that not supposed to feel pointed if you're making it harder where the majority of your population lives, but making it easier where you have fewer people? And then what's your tie in here, Pam? So obviously, I'm a big baseball fan. Honestly, usually I only pay attention to what's happening with the Giants. But in general, uh, my ears definitely perk up when there's a big baseball decree that happens. And that's what happened uh, just this past Friday. So the MLB commissioner issued a statement saying that after talking with the clubs and former and current players and the Players Association and the Players Alliance, they decided to pull this year's All-Star game out of Atlanta. Um, it's actually, I think it's, um, the, the Atlanta Brave Stadium is not in Atlanta anymore. It's in the suburbs, but yeah, for the purposes of just, you know, sweepingly generalizing. Uh, so basically they said that they decided to do this because the MLB supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. They said, quote, we proudly used our platform to encourage baseball fans in communities throughout our country to perform their civic duty and actively participate in the voting process. Fair access to voting continues to have our games and wavering support. 
Now, the Atlanta Braves also issued their own statement in which they essentially said that they were against this and said that they were deeply disappointed by the move of the MLB on the whole. Uh, They said, quote, the Braves organization will continue to stress the importance of equal voting opportunities, and we had hoped our city could use this event as a platform to enhance the discussion. Our city has always been known as a uniter in divided times, and we will miss the opportunity to address the issues that are important to our community. They also kind of like hit fans with a bit of a a double whammy because they basically insinuated that all this was doing was taking um, economy boosting opportunities away from where the stadium is located. And I guess that that is, you know, a fair point uh, to assess. Uh, But it is also important to note that uh, the MLB does a lot of outreach through the All-Star Legacy projects that happen in the host cities for the Midsummer Classic game that they do every year in July. Um, all of that is moving forward, despite the fact that they have not decided where they're going to host this year's All-Star game. And they're still going to honor Hank Aaron, who passed in January, who played with the Braves for, um, I believe, just a little over two decades, if I'm remembering correctly. So all that's still going to happen. It's just not going to happen at the Braves stadium. I'm torn on this issue. Like you had mentioned a minute ago, the problem with pulling something like the like the All-Star game out of the Atlanta area is that it does affect some small businesses who are counting on some additional foot traffic, some additional tourism. On the other hand, governments perk up when corporations get involved and pull out because that they're losing out on a lot of money. They're losing out on a lot of revenue. And it makes them change their minds about things. An example I frequently point to is in North Carolina. They had this horrible bathroom bill um, a few years ago at this point. There was a ton of backlash around it from big business. They pulled out. I've brought up this example before, too. My husband, Bruce Springsteen, saw this bathroom bill. He canceled his concert happening there. He still sold the poster that he made for the show, and then he donated those revenues to the Human Rights Campaign of North Carolina. I have one of those posters. I was so happy to buy it. But then North Carolina walked back that bathroom bill. And stuff like this can work. Brian Kemp is talking a tough game so far. He says, I don't care that the MLB did this. I'm disappointed in them, but it doesn't change my stance. But if more companies come out like uh, Coke and Delta did, uh, too little too late, but if they start affecting Georgia's bottom line, maybe it can make a difference. In the short term, that sucks. But in the long term, it's for the best. I think the film industry, like if if the film industry decided that they weren't going to produce anything out of Georgia because Georgia gets a lot of uh, money from uh, from being like, you know, a, a top grade filming destination, then it might perhaps have uh, Brian Kemp singing a different tune if all of it w- was happening at once. I'm not sure if this is going to work. And I was hoping that Laura perhaps could weigh in on whether she thinks it will. I think it depends on how many other companies join in with this. I do remember, and I apologize, I don't remember the exact law or bill that was being proposed, but it was three or four years ago, there was a pending law in our legislature, and it was it was something anti-LGBT. And a number of movie studios signed petitions saying like, hey, we're going to pull all of our production out of Georgia if you do this, deuces, and that did stop it in its tracks. So I think if we were to get enough traction for things that are like repeat visitors, like, you know, movie studios, for example, like this, you know, losing the all-star game, it is a really big thing to lose, but it is a one-time event. If I'm speaking correctly, not speaking out of turn on that, Pam, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, But you know, a lot of stuff in, you know, Marvel Studios, they do a lot of shooting here in Atlanta. Um, Netflix does a lot of shooting here in the Atlanta area. So if you got enough companies like that to start um, pledging to pull their operations out of the state, I think it could make a difference. I don't know if we'll get everything rolled back that was introduced by this horrible bill, but certainly some of it could be on the table. Um 
And Brian Kemp is also a fuckboy. He's like a fair weather friend. He's he's very like, um, I mean, you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Brian Kemp was the one who introduced automatic voter registration when you went to get your driver's license. And that's absolutely not something he would do now. So mm. he's somebody who tends to blow with the prevailing wind. He's weak as fuck. Um, so he will flip if enough if enough of Hollywood pulls out. If enough, yeah, if enough of it pulls out. But it would have to be quite a bit because they're stinging from losing this last election. Yeah. Also, some of this is likely to do with the fact that Kemp is up for re-election. So I can't imagine that a lot of the thought behind these restrictions wasn't a result of them seeing how bad 2020 went for them and him right. seeing yeah. he's up for re-election right around the corner. So this is probably part of that, too. Well, I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. One other thing we wanted to mention really quick, and I'm just going to start by reading this email from Sarah. Sarah wrote in, Arkansas has passed a bill that will criminalize healthcare professionals for performing any gender-affirming care on trans youth. The reach of this bill is vast, and it could lead to criminalization of parents who are affirming. For example, a dad who testified against the bill in court was arrested and held for hours on a BS charge of speaking 20 seconds over the two-minute limit. There are also a lot of other anti-trans bills in play, so this is very likely going to be a huge thing and an active push by the GOP to roll back trans health care. So Sarah sent that email in earlier today. There was a bit of good news Monday afternoon. Arkansas's governor did decide to veto the bill, so it's not passing for now. But Laura, there's still reason to be concerned, right? Yeah, my understanding is that um, in the state house, um, they could like basically overturn this veto with a simple majority vote. And this bill passed with a very healthy majority. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. And I'm sure I'm sure we'll have an update on this story before we sit down to record next week. Yeah. And like Sarah mentioned, one issue with this, whether or not he had vetoed it, was that this is probably giving some other states some ideas, especially exactly. if they see a lot of public support in Arkansas for it. So watch this space, but very disappointing and worrying for sure. It was good to see at the least that the governor did stand up and veto this. All right. So changing gears now, Pam, what's coming up in After Dark today on our Patreon? I know we've got something lighter on tap. We're going to be talking about whether or not our friends, we've noticed our friend groups getting smaller as a result of the pandemic. Uh, there's an interesting article about this over on Mike.com, and it just sounded like a good Thing to discuss between the three of us. Excellent. Yeah. That'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks to everybody who supports us. And I know, Laura, you wanted to give a shout out to our new patrons. That's right. It's time for a shout out for our latest patrons. They are Kelly, Andrea, Lauren, Lyndon, Megan, Brittany, and Payal. Thank you all for your support. And we are so thrilled to have you. It's time for some recommendations. I think last year, I recommended on the show Rock the Block on HGTV. This is back for season two now. Eight HGTV stars are competing in four teams to each renovate four copies of the same exact house. I think they're actually in Georgia for this season. Whether or not you're a huge HGTV fan, um, it's a it's a great watch, pretty entertaining, lots of good twists this season as well, which keeps it interesting and uh, pretty funny too. So if you are interested in HGTV at all, if you watch it even a little bit, I would definitely recommend watching Rock the Block. It's been a fun competition. I wanted to recommend Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus. Have either of you guys watched this? I have. No. Did you like it? I've I've been really yes. enjoying it. Yes. And I see a lot of other people saying they really like it as well. But people are like super moved by it. And I'm just not moved as much. I'm feeling like I didn't pay attention to the show as closely as I okay. should have. So I have not finished it yet, but I think it's just delightful. Like it's just such a nice, easy watch so far. I'm like four episodes in, I think. Um, and for those of you guys that don't know, the show stars Jason Sudeikis as the titular character, and he is an American football coach 
that gets uh, hired to ho- uh, to coach a soccer team out in the UK, and he like has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> but the the comedy is really good. It's such a well written show, and if you have access to Apple TV Plus or you haven't. Um, you know, taking advantage of your free trial yet, I would highly recommend checking this out because it's just a really nice little comedy. Ted is very wholesome. It's a very he feel is very good wholesome. show. I think. Yeah. That is the one good show on Apple TV Plus. There's really nothing else to check out right now. But hey, good for Apple TV Plus. They found the hit. And I would like to recommend a game for your mobile devices, Crash on the Run. It's for anybody who's ever been a Crash Bandicoot fan. I got this recently, and it's been so much fun to have a version of Crash that I can play on my phone because it does evoke so much childhood nostalgia for me. And as the world goes back to normal, you might have less time to be in front of the PlayStation. So this could be a good way to get your Crash fix in while you're on the road. Cool. So before we wrap up, don't forget, we would appreciate if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Millennial. You can contact us by emailing millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form on millennialshow.com. That's also where we have our confessional. We've gotten lots of great emails recently, so we'll be sure to include those in the weeks ahead. Also, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much, as always, for your listenership, for your support. It's greatly appreciated. It really keeps us going. It really keeps us inspired. And we just have so much fun recording this podcast. So I can't say thank you enough. And that does it for this week's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, Bye everyone.